Join me, Dr. Cathy Weston, for my podcast series, Get a Grip, brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. In each podcast, I help unpick some of the trickier questions relating to how we raise children today. How do we talk to children about mental health? How can we make sure our children engage safely with the digital world? Whose responsibility is the mental health education of our children, teachers or parents? These podcasts get me talking and you thinking. I've reached out to today's thought leaders and main researchers in this area and asked them their views on the areas where we need to get a grip. Monique Tonson is an expert in sensory processing and she writes, teaches and consults on this subject. She is fascinated by how sensory processing works, which is why she has decided to dedicate her professional life to it. She has now written four books on the subject in Dutch, and two of these books have been translated into English. The first is Sensory Solutions in the Classroom, which is co-authored with Carmen Lump, and also Making Sense of Your Senses, which she has authored herself. Monique has experience with different groups, people without disabilities, with severe intellectual disability, with autism and with language development disorder, people with dementia and acquired brain injury, people who are deaf and hard of hearing, and students in special and regular education, all of which she is helping through her books of practical solutions on sensory processing. Okay, Monique, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I've got so many questions to ask you about your books. I'm very excited to talk to you. So let's just jump right in. Can you talk us through what sensory processing is and why it's so important? And your book has got so many really lovely metaphors in there. So perhaps you could maybe use some. I think the idea of the bouncer is is really helpful. So yeah. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. And I love sharing information about sensory processing to help people. And let me talk to you about why is processing sensory input important? Well, we do it all day long because we need information, because we need to know what to act upon, and we need to respond to signals from our surroundings and from also inside our body. And we need to know what to do to adapt to what is asked and do what is necessary. So, for instance, there's a draft. You feel it. Well, you can put on a sweater or you close the window. You see a car. This is important because you have to make sure that you can cross the road safely. And you feel your glasses slide down while you push them up. So these signals we get all day long. We make sure we're safe through them and we can develop because we adapt to our, uh, to our environment. And then the other thing, way that we use sensory input is we can regulate how we feel. How alert are we? Do we feel good? We can arrange that through getting less sensory input or making sure we get more sensory input. And for instance, we may fiddle with our clothes or with a piece of yarn or with jewelry or rubber band, or we listen to music or listen to easy listening to relax or something upbeat to get going. And if you feel tense, you might go for a walk. Or you might go for a run, or you sit in your easy chair and you listen to music. This That way, we can make sure that we are on a level of alertness that we like and that we need to, to do a job. And But we all process sensory input very differently, and that's where the bouncer comes in. So we receive sensory input. So I, I touch my hand, and, and the sense of touch 
receives that input, but then I'm not aware of that yet because first it needs to travel through our sensory system, through our nervous system, and that's where we have a sensory input filter. And you can compare that with a bouncer that will let people in to a club or make sure they stay out. This sensory input filter or the bouncer decides what's important, what's, what input is supposed to come in and what needs to stay outside. And if I let it in, how strong will I let it in? How much will I let through? And when that goes right, then you can say that you respond to input neutrally. And that means that you can adapt to a lot of situations and the input that you need, you get through. But the input that's boring stays out. And you're not that much bothered by input, but sometimes it goes wrong. And then you have a disrupted input balance. And that's where I come in to explain how do do you get over-responsive? Because then the bouncer is just a really good, he has an open door policy and he lets everything in. And it's just much too strong, much too much input. And you get overwhelmed by it and you don't feel good. And when you're in a class and you get overwhelmed by input, you can't attend to the teacher. So the bouncer was just a little bit too enthused to, to, to let too much in. But then there's another bouncer. Some people may have a bouncer that doesn't let enough information in. And then you get too little, too weak input, and then you're under-responsive. So this is what your body does. And there should be really a balance that you get in enough input so you can act. Not too little because then you can't act. Or too much because you get overwhelmed. Brilliant. Thank you. It's such a, a, a fantastic way of explaining sensory processing. And I know that you, you touched on there kind of, that's your ability to feel safe and to kind of adapt and kind of regulate. So your body can regulate if you need to, you mentioned kind of easy listening and sitting in an easy yeah. chair to kind of regulate down or get yourself going if you need a bit more input and, and music can be helpful. So am I right in thinking then that how safe and secure we feel can impact our sensory processing? Definitely. So when you experience stress or you feel unsafe, what happens in your body, your body activates the stress system. And this is necessary because when it detects that you might there might be a threat, you may have to fight, you may have to flee, you may have to freeze to be able to minimize the damage or to survive. And when we experience this stress and we are in our stress signal system, all signals become important. So what the body does, in order to increase your survival chances, it opens up the filter. It lets everything in. So noises need to come in, movement needs to come in, touch needs to come in, because we may have to react. And that means that you get over-responsive when you feel stress. Excellent. Okay, that's that's really helpful. And in your book, you split students into kind of four broad categories, and you mentioned a couple of them as we were talking there. So you've got actively under-responsive, passively under-responsive, actively over-responsive, and passively over-responsive. So got a lot of different bouncers doing different things in these yes. students. So can you give us some examples of the sorts of behaviour that each of these types of sensory processing might exhibit and how we can distinguish between our over and under-responsive yeah. students? It, it sounds a lot, but it's really not that hard. You also, you forgot neutral. We even, oh, we neutral. Yeah. <laughs> so there's five. <laughs> five. But just, you really only need to think about either being neutral 
under-responsive or over-responsive. But the, if, if we go to the start with the under-responsives, then there's some people that will try to influence the amount of input and other people don't do that. It's not really a choice. That's how you respond. And they won't try to receive more input, although they need it. So when you have under-responsive and you're actively under-responsive, you try to get, you seek input because you need more and stronger input and you'll be busy all day seeking it. So here you have a student that might be very enthusiastic, a little bit too often, and he's always up and about and they're busy talking, they're moving things around and they're touching things and they're very creative in seeking out input and generating input. So the busybodies, the seekers. But then you have the other under-responsive that doesn't come into action to get more input. And that translates into behavior that looks like inattentiveness. They are very relaxed, but they may be a little bit too relaxed because nothing gets in. They miss signals. And so they don't know which assignment they need to do. They miss part of the instruction. But but. Remember, they're very flexible because things don't bother them very yeah. much. So that's that's a plus for this. And you, you may see students staring into the distance or you may even feel that they're a bit lazy or not interested. But that might not be the case. They may just need more input to connect, mm-hmm. to engage. Yeah. And then you have the over-responsive and they, because when I talk about the, the active under and the passive under-responsive, they have very different behavior. The one is very enthusiastic and the other is a little bit sluggish. And with the over-responsive types, there's not too much difference. When, when they're actively over-responsive, they're going to try to influence the amount of input. So they're going to try and avoid a lot of input. Okay. And... They want to take control because when they control where they're going to sit, what they're going to wear, what materials they want to work with, they're also controlling the sensory input. And that really means that they're trying to cope by avoiding input, and which really is a survival mechanism. And, and I always say, you know, that's a very smart strategy. Only the problem is that they come over as very bossy and very directive, and that doesn't make you very popular. Yeah. But this could be just a survival mechanism to be able to cope. And if you see that, then you see the student in a different way, and you can help them by helping them avoid too much input. And then there's the passive over-responsive. The problem there is they get too much input, but they don't avoid it. So it, it, it just overwhelms them. And that means that they might complain. They might complain about noises, but they're not going to move away from them. They will happily choose finger painting, and then they start grumbling as soon as they feel the icky stuff on their fingers. And then they say, no, I don't want to do this. And then you might say, well, you chose this. You go do that. But with this information, you just give them a brush and say, well, here, take this brush. Maybe then you can make a painting. You don't have to touch it. And these students may easily become overwhelmed and cry. But the last two, the over-responsive, really what you need to know about their behavior is they're often nervous, tense, and very easily irritated. And if you have those students, you know, okay, I have to also consider they may be over-responsive. While on the other hand, you have the too enthusiastic student or 
a little bit sluggish student. So that's really, if you think about those two things, then you know, okay, they either need activation mm-hmm. or they need calming. So it's it's a lot of types, but it's it's yeah, it's not too hard to distinguish. No, definitely not. And I think your book does a, a fantastic job of kind of outlining different behaviours and, and what to look for and how to respond to them as well. And I think I'm sure teachers listening to this will be able to identify quite a number of their students yeah. in each of these categories. There's, there's already names going through their head oh, getting sure. this information. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But really helpful to know that, like you say, sometimes, you know, the passively under-responsive might be coming across as lazy but actually that's not the case exactly. at all and that yeah. can really also change the way that you respond to them as a teacher because yep so which I think is helpful to to know so that you can also change how you're responding to them that it might actually not be laziness but rather this passive under-responsiveness is where it's coming from exactly that's why I find it so important to get this information out there because you'll respond different to your students like when you have the busy student in your class that's always seeking 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 they're going to hear always sit still you know don't do that uh, they're always being corrected but they can't attend without this input so yeah. if you can give it to them in another way by for instance instead of sitting down while doing their tasks standing up which will give them more input then they might be able to attend without being so seeking uh, and uh, disruptive. And also for the people that are over-responsive, you know, they can't handle a lot of things while they see others around them being able to handle these things. They may not understand that others don't feel their socks or T-shirts labels all day long. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I said, being bossy is not very popular, but if it's a survival mechanism and you can help someone... They, they'll be different, you know, in the group. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's so really helpful for, for teachers to, to know and, and, and respond maybe in a, yeah. different, a different way. And I know in your books, you also talk about the fact that these kind of categories of over or under responsive may also have an effect on young people's self-concept. So would you be able to talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's not nice to always be corrected because then you think, you know, I'm, I'm, I must be doing something wrong while all you're doing is trying to get enough input to be able to attend. I, I was observing in a classroom and there was one boy, uh, they were sitting in a circle and he was on his hind legs of the chair, you know, yeah. uh, wiggling around. And he kept doing that, but I thought he was engaging. And the teacher at one point said, and now this is enough, come out of the group and took him out. And he was going like, what, 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 what's going on? And so I explained to her later, I think this wiggling behavior is what keeps him attending and it's what he needs to be alert. And, and then she's going like, oh my God. And I, I pulled him out of the circle and, and you don't want this to happen. So if you can look at behavior with your spy glasses on, you know, your sensory yeah. processing of input glasses on to look at behavior with a thought in the back of your head, hey, this may be caused by processing too much or too little input and we can do something about this. And also for the children that are uh, easily irritated, people might think they're unkind while they're just trying to, you know, cope with all the sensory input. Yeah, definitely. And I think your your spy glasses are another great metaphor in the, the book. I think that's really a, such a nice way to talk about it. Thank you. Thank but you're you. right. I mean, that's a perfect example of the teacher, you know, that, that she's taken 
that child out of the group because it looked like he was he wasn't really being attentive but actually maybe after have, going through your book and having yep. spy glasses on you'll maybe look at behavior a little bit differently which might help how you respond and then can help that child remain attentive and a part of the group yeah exactly maybe nobody's bothered by him you know sitting on his back legs and and they can and and if they are then maybe you can tell them why don't you stand up and stand behind your chair and and then they can attend and and not be bothersome to others yep Excellent. And can you, because I'm sure we've kind of already talked a little bit about perceptions of behaviour and what you might think that that means. So would you be able to talk us through some kind of common myths that you've come across, especially when it comes to hyperactivity? And yeah, can you debunk those myths for us? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always talking about this misunderstanding that people think when students are hyperactive, uh, that they must be over-responsive. Yeah. And, and then what they do is uh, let's keep all the input away, you know, put them uh, in, a, in a spot in the class that is room that's really quiet and, and they, they can't see anything because they're at a blank wall. Or And then hyperactivity, we, we just explained all the types. And now you know that this might be the under-responsive active student that needs more and stronger input to stay alert and feel good. So hopefully after getting this information, when you see a hyperactive child that is enthusiastically hyperactive, you know, oh, he needs more and stronger input. When they're hyperactive and they're very nervous and tense, okay, then they might be over-responsive. But more often than not, it's, it's the under-responsive type. That yeah. is, they, they need more and stronger input. So let's see how we can get it to them so they can also learn. Yeah, and I think that's that, that's an interesting thought. And I know your your book is absolutely packed with strategies to kind of support that sensory process in, in primary settings, both kind of in and out of the classroom, points of transition within the school day or kind of transport and trips in and out of school. And I think you touch on quite a lot that if it's a, if a student seeking more input, let's see how we can get that to them. And maybe you can kind of tell us about some of the strategies to support students who are under or kind of over-responsive. Certainly, certainly. So yeah, the, the whole book is packed full of strategies. And one of our favorite strategies that we often share because we see very much more under-responsive students and not as many over-responsive, is that we see, say, what kind of services do you have in the classroom that the student can be standing? And then some of the subjects they can do standing. So look at if you have like a wide windowsill or, or another high surface where they can stand on. And if there's any budget coming, maybe you can get a table that you can change the height from so they can either sit at it or they can stand. I often show people when, when I give, give a class about this, I give everybody a piece of string to fiddle with. It's so easy. Yeah. It doesn't make any noise and, and, and you can put knots in them and, and you, you can do all kinds of things and put it away. It just, it's not bothersome to others. And chewing materials are a really good one. Because either when you're under-responsive, chewing on something might be very nice to do to up the level of alertness. But also when you're tense, it's nice to chew and get rid of that tension. And fiddling is the same thing. You can use it for both also. And what we sometimes see is that children will go for a toilet break a lot of times. 
this might be a way for them to get some movement in because they have to sit still all the time. Or it might be a way to get out of all the bustle because it's so much. Yeah. And if you see that this is something that will help the student, then you can also say, okay, well, that's no problem. You sometimes need to be out of the classroom. Here you have three blue cards. And you can give me one each time you have to leave the classroom mm. and I'll put on the time timer and you'll know when, when you need to get back in. And you can use that three times a day. That way you can also make sure they don't leave too often when you yeah. tell them it's okay to leave sometimes. So that's, that's some ways that you can look at getting students uh, better able to focus. Yeah, and I think that that's I think the the string is I definitely was thinking when you said that it's such a a nice simple thing to kind of keep because I, I know myself actually I'm just doing it right now while we're yeah, talking yeah, I've, got, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. got something to fiddle with because I'm I'm the same I can't I can't sit still I'm always kind of fiddling with something but like you see the string is such a an offensive thing because it doesn't make any noise it's not bothering anyone it's yeah. just and the kids it's that, cheap. It's yeah, it's super cheap. Kids yeah. that want to touch it will touch it, and kids that don't won't. And it's yeah, that's such a nice idea. And yeah, as you see, the the standing example is another great strategy, or the the blue cards for because, like you say, that could be could go one of two ways. Might be that it's really overwhelming in the classroom, and they just need a little bit of quiet to kind of settle back down and regulate or it might be actually I need to get up I need to move and yeah this is the only yeah. way I can do it I need to wiggle now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so yeah no those are some fa- really fantastic strategies and as we said you know you've, your book is absolutely packed with them so there'll be more yeah the, and then there's there's one that I see that is being used and maybe used a little bit too much a hearing protector uh, headphones oh, yeah uh-huh. yeah you might not want to use those too much because if you keep input away from the brain that it's used to getting, and again, the beginning I told you, you need input to know what to do, what do you have to do to maintain yourself in an environment. And if you keep that input away, the brain may decide to become more sensitive to this mm-hmm. input because it's missing it. So if you keep the noise away all the time, the brain may decide to get more sensitive for sounds, which you are already sensitive to because you got a pair of hearing protectors. Yeah. So don't use that too much. And you could maybe use headphones with music on them. Yeah. It's another way to make sure that you don't hear your environment, that you can concentrate on your work without keeping the input away. Yeah. You know, so you hear noises, but it's music and it's something that you can focus by. So you, you'll have to try out what what will help, what will help somebody focus. I mean, I use very different music when when I do the dishes and I sing along than when I doing my when I'm doing my admin I put some put some easy listening on and and so you need to know what to use to be able to focus and so you just try out some things absolutely and I think there's so many different options nowadays for you to try lots of different things you know there's lots of kind of focus specific playlists or it might be white noise or pink noise or something like you say it's still giving you a little bit of input but not and not completely cutting you off because that's actually a really interesting thought I, I wouldn't have even considered that actually that those kind of ear defenders are 
are like obviously they're doing a job they're yep. they're kind yep. of but they're almost going too far the other way if you use them too much and and i see that a lot with people with autism they mm. they get they put them on and keep them on all day in class and yeah. you, you really don't want to do that because they'll even get more sensitive so you could use them but then maybe two times a day for about 20 minutes at specific things that are really hard so if everyone's gathering and there's a lot of noise that might be a good way to use them but do not overuse them yeah perfect and you know we've, we've just talked about the the noise defenders there just now and some of the other strategies that you outlined for us about the stand-in and the blue cards and things can, can you tell us what the research tells us about some of these strategies and how effective they are yeah i would like to give you the example of movement Sure. We, we, there's a lot of research going on about how does that aid you in focusing. And so in, in the Netherlands, they uh, researched in a school where they were giving the subjects of math and Dutch, so that would be English in your case, while moving. So that means that everyone is standing and there's something up on the screen, screen there's a question and there's three possible answers. And then you would say, okay, if you think A, you jump. If you think it's B, you make a lunch. If you think it's C, turn around in a circle. So that way they were moving while they were learning. And what they found is that the experimental group were five months ahead of the control group after only two years. Wow. So, you know, combining learning with movement is a really smart thing to do. So look at, at, at movement options in your class. Have students move around to find answers and to discuss questions with each other and go outside and do your math and yeah your english outside that's great i can't that's astounding those those results five months isn't ahead. it yeah isn't it five months after just two years so yeah yeah and that's and, that's one of the strongest things so movement is really important and what what have we been doing we put we put our students in chairs, chairs. almost yeah. all day, yeah, almost yeah. all day. And it's just, it's, yeah, not smart. Yeah, no, I, I think, like you say, it's such a, like you can use it in such an easy way of let's just do different movements for different answers of who thinks what or, you know, because yeah. they're, they're really listening and they're, they're getting engaged a little bit more. And especially exactly. I think, I'm, I'm sure math teachers will disagree with me when they hear this, but especially for maths, which probably isn't the most loved subject at school. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but you can use movement so good because you can jump or throw yeah. a ball while you're reciting your multiplication stage. Absolutely. You, you can make a song and dance about a subject, and that that way it just stays in your head much easier. Yeah. 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 Lovely. And I'm you can also say, you know, when somebody answers, okay, the person that will give the answer stands up, because also when you stand up, your lungs have a little bit more room, and and so you can talk louder. Everyone hears you, and mm. they're more attentive then, because if you speak with a really low voice, then the rest of the class will just go do something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You, you lose them. So now move, please. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And there are lots of, of sensory tools that teachers and parents can buy. And I know we talked a little bit about the, the noise defenders. So there, are there any that you, you would recommend in terms of sensory tools and any that you wouldn't recommend? Uh, well, so I don't recommend to use the protectors too much, the hearing uh, defenders. And 
there's wiggle chairs. They are really nice because they stay in their place, but they can wiggle and they don't need to wiggle that much, but it's enough for them to be able to attend. So, and you can also always ask to try out the wiggle chair a couple of weeks. And if you do that, you, you know, you can see the result for the student, if they can attend better and if they are better able to focus in that way. You've tried it out, and then you can go to the person that controls the budget and actually tell them, well, this is what happened one, while they're on that chair, so can we please purchase some of those? And they don't have to sit on them all day long. You know, just for you can have three or four in your classroom, and, and the student can just get them for a certain task, a certain subject. Fiddling materials, just make sure they don't make sound so others aren't bothered by them. Yeah. So the string is a, a perfect I, I would one. just say get a string. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so easy. It's so cheap. And uh, the chewing materials. That, and, and so you'll, you could ask maybe the parents if they can give it to the child to take with them to school. Because obviously you can only use that for one student. Yeah. So the, and, and look if you have sub, uh, services for standing. But, but if you have some budget, please look at standing tables. Yeah. Lovely, thank you. And in the classroom, how can teachers make sure that they're picking the right strategy for individual children? Because uh, as we've talked about, you know, there's lots of different categories that might respond differently to different strategies. So how can teachers make sure that they're picking the right strategy for that child? So it's only either calming or alerting. So you're either activating or calming. And, and students that are uh, can do their job without any difficulties, you don't even have to consider using strategies. So the only thing you look at is either are they a little bit too sluggish and they don't get all the information or are they overly enthusiastic and too much so hyperactive? Those you want to see which activating strategies can help them. And then on the other side, you have the tense students that are very easily angered, they're very easily irritated, and there you want to see can I calm them by sometimes putting them in a different spot where it's a little bit more, less, less input? Can I give them earbuds with some music in them? Can I give them a fiddle string so they can calm? So it's, it's again, five, five types, but it's either irritated and tense. Yeah. And on the other hand, you have sluggish or hyperactive. Great. So actually, you know, and I know that you, you've outlined it really clearly there, but, you know, that your book, again, is, is so helpful at Thank you. being able to identify these behaviours and decide on what strategy is the most appropriate for that child. And how can we help children recognise their own se- sensory processing characteristics? I appreciate that, like you say, you know, that sometimes you're getting a lot of input and you're... I know you talked about that at the start, that you try and respond to things like you see your glasses slipping down, you're going to automatically push them back up or you're processing data all the time as well. So, yeah, how can we help children start to recognise their own sensory processing characteristics and needs and how do we help them start identifying strategies for them for themselves? Well, you talk to them about it. You talk to them about the sensor input and how they respond to it. And also, when they show strategies themselves, you could, for instance, say, hey, you stand up a lot, and then you kind of bend over your table to do your work. But I think the extra movement input is really helping you focus. So this way, you're telling them, hey, okay, do I need more input or do I need less input? And what I'm already doing, okay, that's working for me. So you tell them, you know, great, we're going to do that much more often. Or you see them fiddle with something, but it may be a pen and they're clicking the pen all the time. 
which is really irritating for everyone else. And you say, hey, you know, I see you fiddle a lot with your pen, and I really think that input helps you focus, but, you know, the pen kind of makes noise. Here is a string. You can fiddle with the string because obviously it helps you. So very good that you do that. Yeah. So talk about what you see them doing or you tell them, oh, I see you're very irritated by, by some noise around you. I think it's harder for you to work. Maybe when you sit here, it's a little bit quieter. Let's see if you can work better there. That way you're opening up communication about this and they can also tell you, uh, hey, this is bothering me. Can I please sit at the other uh, table or, hey, I, I really need to move. Otherwise, I can't focus. Can I go and make you a copy or something, you know, so I can walk around a little bit? Talk yeah. about it. Yeah. And also examples that you do yourself that you say, OK, I'm really falling asleep here i'm not doing enough we're going to do a song and dance together let's let's do this song and dance and then we can all focus better because then you're also telling them i i have this too i sometimes need more input and sometimes i need less input yes yeah, so you're almost modeling that for them too yeah yeah and that i think that's really nice that like you say the the, the opening up communication so i think a lot of times which is perfectly understandable. Teachers will automatically maybe see that as a misbehavior or yeah. maybe kind of, I think punish is too strong a word, but like you were using the example of the boy swinging on his chair before and you're removing them from mm. that activity, but actually perhaps opening up that conversation with them and saying, oh, I actually notice you do this a lot. Good that you're trying to kind yeah, of regulate your, yourself, yeah. but maybe let's look at, just standing or kind of moving around your desk or here's a bit of string because yeah I know I've I've been guilty in meetings of clicking yeah. a pen over and over <laughs> or to, like pushing a lid off and clicking it back on and yeah that's uh, that's been pointed out to me quite maybe I should just take a bit of string with me and so yeah. but, but how, how great if if you can tell uh, the student what yeah. you're doing is helping you 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 know yeah. what your body needs this yeah. is great. You know, it's positive feedback. Uh, instead of telling them, sit still, don't do that. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that. like you said, you know, then the children are so much more receptive to having a conversation with you about it if they think they're not going to get in trouble or be told off again. I know, and they want to do a good job. Yeah. They do. Yeah. So like you said, you know, you're building on what we talked about earlier, that self-concept as well. So they're feeling empowered because they're listening to their body and using the strategies that they can and, and you can offer some different ones that maybe are less disruptive to others yeah. around them, which is great. And I know that you mentioned in your book something called the fan model. And I don't know if that is what we were just talking about there or you want to give us a little bit more information about that. Well, the fan model we made to visualize the process of, of regulating yourself and where are you, how do you feel and uh, fitting into those uh, systems that your body has, your, the nervous system, like it's the stress system that you need. It's very normal to sometimes be have stress. And you need to be able to move. So we made a fan model with different colors. It starts with blue and then green. And green is really where you want to be because in green you feel good, you're active, you're alert, you can do your task and you can ask for help when you need help and, and you just feel okay. But sometimes we have to recover. And so then you go into the blue, which is, you know, we'll be sitting on the couch with a little bit with some tea and, and not much input needs to get in because we're, we're relaxing. And then when, when your break is over, you need to be able to engage again and go back into the green system to be able to do your job. And sometimes people get stuck in the blue 
and they don't get active enough to engage. And then we say, okay, you're under-responsive and you need to be activated to get back into the green. And this is what is called the engage and recovery system. And then we have the stress system, which we made orange. And whenever you feel threatened or your body thinks you may uh, be threatened, you go into the stress system. And this is where we talked about you need to be able to fight, flee or freeze. Mm -hmm. And this is very normal if a child has their birthday. It's very exciting, but also a little bit of stress. You know, yeah. what, what am I going to get for a present? And who's going to come? And is the cake going to taste nice? And so, so they go into their stress system and, and they might be a little bit more irritated. But then the, the day starts and they get the present and the cake is nice. So they move back into the green Yeah. and feel nice and they can enjoy themselves. But there's also people that get stuck in the orange. For adults, for instance, if you have to give a presentation for 200 people, you might get into the orange system, get stressed, but then you start and you see that they're responding well and your story is going well and, and, and you move back into the green and you can do your thing. But when you get stuck into the uh, orange part, we say, okay, that's where you're over-responsive and now you need some calming activities. So for a child's birthday, that would mean, okay, we know he always gets stuck that day in the orange. So we make sure that he knows beforehand what present he gets. We already put it on top of the cupboard, but yeah. he can see it. So that stress is gone. Mm-hmm. We don't have that many visitors at once because that's too much for him. And so, and then you can enjoy much more. So you get stuck, you're over-responsive. And then there's, there's one more color we use, which is red. And that's really the emergency system. So that's where the system decides you cannot flee you cannot fight or freeze you cannot get out of the situation so the system turns off and this is where you shut down dissociation is what happens there because if you would feel the emotions or feel the pain you wouldn't survive so it just cuts that sense off you don't feel the emotion but you don't show any emotion either you don't feel the pain anymore and the only thing that's regulated is your temperature and your breathing so you can survive well, this is where people are when they're in trauma and you need help from a psychologist or a psychiatrist to see what's going on. How can we move you back to the orange, through the orange, into the green system? And, and this is a, a moving system and uh, something that we use. We, we like to visualize a lot of the information that we give to make it understandable for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's the 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 kind of is a really nice visual system that I think is really accessible for parents, teachers and children to be able to kind of point to where they are and yeah. look at the kind of the process that you need to do to get back to the the green which is where you want to be. So Yeah, you want the green part of the fan that needs to be out. Yeah. And unfolded, but if you have blue unfolded too much, you want to activate so you can fold the blue and that makes more room for green. So so that is it makes it a really easy to understand process. When I put this fan in front of children and in front of parents, they immediately start speaking about, oh yeah, but he was in orange then, yeah, so he needed to be calmed down, and oh that that was a period he was really in the green then that went really well. So yeah, 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 really easy and like such a like really easy language for like you say parents and children to use together or teachers and children to use together of being able to identify that that was a good period you were in the green then, but. I yeah. noticed you maybe in the blue a bit now, so let's try and get you back to the green or something. 
And that's really what we wanted to do. So I, I wrote two of the books I wrote, I wrote with uh, Carmen Lamp, and, and she's really good at translating situations to layman's terms. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I did physical therapy, and uh, so we, we learned to speak in all these terms that people don't understand. And one of the things that we did, and, and Carmen was great in that, is translate it so everyone understands and can use it. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I'm a, a psychologist by background, and I find the same thing. We've got a lot of fancy technical terms yeah. that actually, you know, it's better if you're explaining it to a parent or a child. This is actually what it means, and this is what we're trying to do, and it makes it so much easier. Yeah, I know. We talk about uh, senses, eight senses, and and one of them is is the sense of movement. Yeah. But in physical therapy, well, you'll say proprioception. Yeah. Well, that's quite the word you know and so I had one parent once tell me yeah yeah that's what the doctor said my son has proprioception yeah he does but something's wrong with it and see that that part of the information did not have any room to enter because the word proprioception is already so difficult absolutely it's done then so yeah I think making sure that it's nice visual and it's easy to understand language is so so helpful for everyone involved and you actually you mentioned the eight senses there so let's talk about those and and how can teachers make lessons appealing to all eight senses yeah because what we usually do we give information by uh, talking so people listen you know that's the sense of hearing and look at things the sense of sight uh, vision and that's usually Mostly the only way we teach uh, the children, which is not enough. It's not strong enough to stay in your mind. You also have the sense of smell and taste. Well, sometimes you can incorporate those in your lessons. You know, you talk about a country. Let's look at some of the spices they use in that country. Let's taste that. Or they have different fruits than we have. And and let's smell and taste what that's like. And that gives you a whole different recollection of of what you learned and then movement you know movement and balance we we take together so balance is also a sense and movement also and you can use them by for instance setting up assignments throughout the class or throughout the courtyard so there's movement while you're learning and the, the song and dance we talked about yeah yeah and 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 the jumping while while reciting stuff and then there's also a touch you know, when you learn letters, you can also write letters on the back of each other's, you know, on each other's back to feel yep. the letters. Yeah. Or you can write them in sand or you can make them with Play-Doh. You feel the letters. Uh, you can craft things using different materials. So if you're talking about a subject, let's craft something from that subject. You know, we're talking about buildings. Let's, let's craft that building. And then there's interoception, which is feeling from the inside. That's also a sense, and that's, for instance, you feel that, that you have to go to the bathroom, you feel that you uh, need to eat something because you're hungry, you feel you're scared because, you know, you tense up your muscles, tense up your heart goes really fast, or maybe you're in love and you feel something in your stomach, Yeah. also your heart beating. That's interoception, and what's important about interoception to know about for the teachers is that it's all about survival. You have to eat. You have to go to the bathroom. You you have to get scared because sometimes you need to move away. And if the children are feeling some of that uh, input, it supersedes everything you're doing. So they're yeah. not listening to you when they're hungry. 
they're not listening to you when they need to go to the bathroom or when they're in love, they're, they're, you know, their mind is somewhere else. Yeah. So, so you need to know if somebody's wiggling in their chair and you think, Oh, you go ahead and go to the bathroom because after that you can focus again, but you can also use it for some interesting classes about what does my body tell me you know, to focus on your breath and to see, can I get quiet enough? Can I feel my heart beating? When am I hungry? What do I feel when I'm hungry? Or in the Making Sense of Your Senses workbook that just came out, we have a really nice exercise that you can do that you drink a lot of water and then you wait and, and you ask each other, what do you feel? You know, when, when do you really have to go to the bathroom? When, when is your bladder full? And, and some people don't feel that as fast as others. You know, I really need to go now. So those are all things to incorporate senses in teaching. That's brilliant. Yeah, so a lot of different examples. And as you say, I think a lot of the time we rely on listening and looking, but not yeah, a lot else. Not enough. Yeah, and it's not enough. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't stay. That's why movement and balance works so well because you get more active you, mm -hmm. you activate much more and the oxygen flows better and you learn better yeah so yeah we we should add those in in our teaching yeah yeah definitely and can you maybe talk us through how might you encourage teachers to audit their classroom and assess the impact of its layout on sensory processing? Yeah, what I see happening is that some classes are already uh, not only chairs and tables, but some different stations. So look around your classroom and see if you have room to create some stations like standing stations. And if you want to be flexible, make sure you have a table that can go up and down so you can use it both for sitting and standing. Make sure you have enough materials to fidget with so the student can go and, and get them when they need them or already have them with them. And the wiggle chairs are, I think, a really good one to, to go and try out. And whenever you prepare your classes, see if you can incorporate movement. And you can have rules, you know, move around the classroom, but don't touch each other so that you don't get situations that are not nice. So you, you can give all those uh, rules. I, I had a really nice teacher where I observed and she said, okay, yeah. we're going to dance to happy. And they really want, all wanted to dance to happy. I said, but cannot touch anyone else. And you can do all kind of silly thing, but don't touch anyone else because then you need to sit down. So just make sure that you tell them the rules. You know, we're doing this strategy, but it's not supposed to make noise or bother someone else because then we'll have to see if there's something else. We can do an alternative. Yeah. And I feel like, like you said, you know, they, they'll be more willing to kind of follow those rules because they're getting to do something exactly. new and exciting. And it's they're, they're getting to move because they don't really need to start bothering anyone yeah. else because they're... They're having that movement and, and that and input. And you have to first make sure they're they're used to them because I have this really nice strategy yeah. that I usually use. It's uh, chair push-ups. You put your hands on the seat of the chair, put your feet up from the floor, and then you push your buttocks up a couple of times. And this is a really nice one. But the first time you're going to do it, um, you better tell them, okay, we're going to do this without making noise. And, and they might still giggle and laugh because, you know, they have to get used to doing this. Yeah. But after a week or two, they know what's expected of them. So, okay, we're going to do 10 chair push-ups because everyone's falling asleep. Uh, and then you do 10 without a problem. You do 10 uh, chair push-ups without them getting uh, all excited. 
So so give it some time so they get used to it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, you know, it, it won't always work. Uh, sometimes it will work. But if it works 60, 70% of the time, just keep using it. And then if you see something that doesn't work, and it doesn't work when the child doesn't feel better and is not able to focus better. So that's always what you're looking for. You use a strategy. You make sure, okay, after a week or two, they're used to it. They should be able to focus better and feel better. And then you keep using it. And otherwise, you're going to see if there's an alternative. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's really important for teachers to remember is, is that's what you're looking for is a bit of of improvement and a bit more attention. And I know we talked about it before where we were saying that teachers can also model good sensory processing because you know if they also say you know i'm feeling tired i need to get up and move a little bit so what is the impact of the teacher's own sensory processing on students in their class that's a real good one because always when when i consult i always look at and and who is the adult in this situation (laughs) what type are they because what if you're over response if that means that you want it to be quiet and you want there to be structure and everyone to sit still because that works really well for you yeah but you you know you lose the under responsive people because they're not alert enough so you need to be able to step out of being over responsive and making sure they get enough input strong enough so they can attend and then the other way around like under responsive my son had a teacher and he would also he also did theater and he he'd grab his guitar stand on the table and sing a song but then you need to know if you have over-responsive students, you tell them, okay, you go and stand in the back of the class and maybe uh, get the uh, hearing protectors and you can still hear enough, but not too much. So you need to know how, how much input is good for you. And it might not be the case for the student. You have to be able to step out of your own type. Yeah. And I think that's that's also really important. And that must be helpful for students to see that being modelled as well, that that might not be what would work for you, but you're able to kind of step out of your own type to make sure that you're attending to the needs of everyone in your class, be it over or yeah. the responsive. And we're thinking outside of the classroom now and more at home, what effect does parents' sensory processing have on their children? Is it similar to what we were just talking about with the teachers? Yeah, it is. And we, in the book, we, we put together... Uh, grids where we we show all the interactions between the types and what if both the parent and the child are unresponsive and passive well that's a house where the gym back will not come to school on the appropriate day because they're just not getting all that information and they're not going to be in time for dance class because there's not enough activation there and for instance if you have a seeking child that seeks a lot of input and the parent is over-responsive, they'll get very irritated. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very good for them also to know who am I and who is my child and how do we respond to each other? Because for the seeking child, you can tell them, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to be upstairs in my office doing my work, so I'll, I'll close the door. You stay here. You can make all the noise you want because otherwise it will bother me. Or sometimes I would I would ask my uh, son, can can you get my headphones and I'll listen to music and you can do your Legos because that's a lot of noise when yes. you go into a tub of Legos, you know. <laughs> so there's a lot of interaction there that could go wrong if they don't understand each other. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's good to, to check out and analyze who's who and how can we make sure we don't bother each other too much. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I think that's a, such a, a nice way to put it that actually work out who's who, what works for me, what yeah, works for you. Yeah, and you know, and... You, can, you can help each other and yeah. respect each other. Yeah, yeah in, what, in what you need. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's really, that's so key that you can help each other out. Mutual respect and... Also between parents, I would get home and be really overwhelmed by the day and we'd eat together. And when our son was still little, I would get really irritated. And then my partner would say, Monique, I got this. And yeah. I knew I could withdraw from the situation. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a shower because that really helps me to calm down. Mm-hmm. Make sure he doesn't follow me upstairs. Because yeah. we had a son that had a lot of questions about life, the universe <laughs> and everything. And he would just keep following me. So also, you know, together you can handle this by saying, okay, I'm, I, I need some alone time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Downstairs. Yeah. And, and then after that, I can handle it again. Yeah. yeah. I can answer all the questions of life, the universe and everything else. Yeah. Again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then you can also tell your child, you know, right now my ears are really tired, and mm. and, and you keep asking, but it's I'm, I can't process anymore. So I, I'm going to put the time timer on five minutes, and the younger they are, the less minutes you yeah. can do. They have to learn, and then when the time timer is done, you can ask again. Yeah, and then he would ask, "Are, are your ears awake again, mom?" And that way you, you, you teach them, okay, I also have needs and this is how I address them. So and you have needs, you can address them too. Absolutely. And so, yeah, that's, that's the modeling that's important. Yeah. And I think that, again, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, but I think that's where the your really nice visual fan comes back into it again. So, you know, you use that to kind of also explain where you are. If you're maybe more in the, the blue than the green or more in the orange than the yep. green, then yeah. just like you say, I'll put a time, quiet time timer on. Let me come back into the green and then I'll answer any and all exactly, questions you yeah. have. And, you know, it could also be that you all come home and say, I'm orange. Oh, my God, I'm orange, too. And then you have to make sure you don't start hurting each other by being irritated and start yelling at each other. So if you can share that information, you can also say, OK, we all need our space now and yeah. we'll we'll eat together in about half an hour. Yeah. So that we don't start being angry at each other. Because <laughs> yeah. you get, you know, you get easily angered when you're in orange. Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. And you don't, you don't mean to say these things, but you do. So it's better to kind of withdraw and, and calm yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Love that. And what resources would you recommend for, for teachers, for parents and for, for children? Obviously, over and above your fantastic books, what other tools might there be? <laughs> So we have the sensory solutions in the classroom and making sense of your senses. You'll find those uh, in the links. And what I did is I translated my whole website. So DutchSensorySolutions.com, you can take a look at that. And it has a lot of downloads in it Excellent. Uh, that you can use and a, a lot of information. Uh, you'll find the fan model, for instance. And then there's a site from the Star Institute that is sensoryhealth.org. They have a lot of information also, so you could take a look there too. 
Amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been fantastic to hear about the books and about all your strategies and things. And and can you tell us what you're you're working on at the moment? Yeah, I'm so excited. I, it's it's something similar because it's also practical and I'm again sharing info that I feel people may benefit from. I got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease about two years ago, and so I'm, I immediately made my job from it too. And I advise teams that work with people that have Parkinson's. And what I saw is that they don't understand their behavior very well and don't know how to respond because they don't know all the symptoms because there's a lot of symptoms. And so I started writing a handbook, Parkinson's Symptoms, and I explain what's going on. I share what can you do and what should you avoid. So also a lot of practical information so i'm i'm almost done wow and uh, yeah it, it just gives me a lot of focus and positive energy to share things that i hope may benefit other people yeah no that's that's amazing we will keep our our eyes open for that when it when it comes yeah, so because as soon as it's done, I'm I'm doing it in Dutch. I'll translate and I'll I'll make sure that, uh, for instance, how hopefully Jessica Kingsley are they listening? Yeah. I'll I'll translate it to 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 make sure it gets out there uh, everywhere. Yeah. Brilliant. No, that's fantastic. Well, thank you, Monique, for giving up your time to talk to us today. It's been really fantastic to speak to you. So thank you so much. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. This Get a Grip podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.